0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um,
1: well, I have mixed feelings always of being on this seat, um, especially as I'm, as they say, training to be a teacher. But in the training that I'm in, we're often reminded to um, continue to consider ourselves students rather than teachers. So I found that uh, very helpful this afternoon while I was uh, preparing the talk or what I wanted to talk about because really what it took for me um, was to be a student again, <laughs> was to um, take a hard look at what was really important for me in this practice and what would benefit um, not only giving a good talk, but what would really benefit me in a a deeper and larger way, Um, so that maybe a talk that might be helpful for you would come out of it. So today, I decided that um, what came to me was I needed to find a way of ease in this practice, because particularly now for me, um, it's been very challenging. It's been really difficult to find the dedication, the motivation, the energy, and all the things that um, have supported me in the past to sustain and maintain a healthy supportive practice. And all I see is um, a million and one excuses that come up for me as to why I'm not practicing. And literally at one point before I started teaching again these last uh, weeks, it was really at a standstill. I felt I'd never come to this point in practice where nothing was working for me and um, it was um, painful, challenging, frustrating, and it was easier to honestly to let it go than to try and make it work. So um, teaching has been a really good kick in the pants for me. (laughs) It's really sometimes when it's beyond me and myself and for a larger audience or for what can I say that can be of support and help to others, that's a good motivator for me. But I think what I wanted to discuss today was how to find ease, and I wanted to uh, put it in the framework of the Noble Eightfold Path, which probably most of you have um, been exposed to or heard about in lots of Dharma talks, but tonight, I'm really going to try and make an effort to use language that's accessible to everyone. Um, um, because my, my good friend, who ha- has no idea um, about this Buddhist path or Dharma practice or whatever, I've had the good opportunity to try and talk with her about this these things, and I've had to use language that makes sense to her. And, and I remember also, it recalls a lot of the times in the beginning, when it was very new for me, and half the time I just didn't know what teachers were talking about, and I felt very left out. So, um, please ask questions if I do um, fall back into language that I've gotten so accustomed to, because after you listen to hundreds and hundreds of Dharma talks, you just start talking in the same language, and a lot of times um, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And even to myself, it's helpful to figure out what I mean by a lot of the terms. So when I say the Noble Eightfold Path, then I'm referring to um, the factors or qualities that the Buddha saw that were helpful, supportive, of um, leading to the end, or the decreasing, I say, of suffering. So seen through the framework of this particular practice, um, we are being asked to take a look at our minds and hearts and to take a look at the things that um, lead to suffering and the things that will support us in our understanding and our views and in our behaviors and our conduct to kind of decrease or lessen the ways in which we are maybe um, sometimes blindly accustomed to thinking or acting that uh, continue to harm us and others. So I hope that's clear enough. So rather than just go through the Noble Eightfold Path, because that will just bore me to tears, and probably you as well, (laughs) I'd like to offer a different way of just maybe holding what you hear uh, in a way that... um, you don't have to remember everything. Um, you don't have to see it in terms of things I need to do or should do. Um, but hold it tentatively to see if it makes sense, if any of it makes sense in a practical way or um, in a wisdom way. And see what happens as we start to contemplate them. And in in our own lives, what are some ways that... Um, we may need to reassess or realign our practice so that it brings some ease. Not that this practice is easy because I know for all of you who do this, you know it's not easy. But a lot of times I feel like it's the way we understand things or try and do things that brings in a lot more difficulty than needs to be there. And I saw that very clearly today when I was preparing for this talk. And I saw myself spinning and getting contracted and um, all these things, so it was a great opportunity to practice what's really important to me. So, I wanted to um, give an example of this. Um, um, I was driving up with some friends uh, to go sailing on the weekend, And in the car, I don't know how the the discussion turned to uh, natural disasters. And um, there's, um, I guess, sometimes a certain um, experience for those of us who live in California who have gone through earthquakes and things that happen with natural disasters. And I don't know why I was just compelled to kind of explore what makes them so compelling or interesting um, for me. And as the discussion evolved, it it came to mind that there's some kind of automatic realignment priorities that happen during natural disasters, um, where it's pretty easy to let go of petty concerns, and all of a sudden what's really important becomes very clear to us. And at least for me, I've noticed that there are certain things in life that kind of just reset that button, and it doesn't take a lot of effort. It doesn't take a lot of trying. It doesn't take a lot of, of, um, I don't know, struggle to make it happen. So I started to, like, wonder, like, well, what are the ways where I can reset that button without having a natural disaster having to occur? (laughs) And And so that's kind of what I wanted to explore with all of you is to how do we do that? Because there are times when practice is beautiful and easy and uh, there's states of calm and peace and that's beautiful and wonderful and then it's not that much of a struggle to support and maintain the practice. But for a lot of us, we're going to hit bumps along the road and practice can seem dry or it might not just, um, it might seem more like um, a duty or an effort or something we have to do. And that adds a layer, and it adds a lot of um, struggle that I think um, can kill the practice for us. So we want to find ways that, you know, continually we kind of ask ourselves what's working and what's not anymore. So um, so having said that, let's see how if I can um, turn to the framework of the Noble Eightfold Path. I think when I was reading... Um, about it, and a lot of what I read was from Bhikkhu Bodhi. Um, things came to light as to um, how one thing affects another. Like if we just kind of set the intention or remember what brings us to practice in order to motivate us to to practice mindfulness and develop concentration and see where our efforts might need some balancing, that it allows sometimes wisdom to arise on its own, to understand what it is that we're trying to see or shift. So I don't think many of us want to suffer. I think many of us don't even want to know it that well. (laughs) Um, um, And for a lot of our lives, we've kind of avoided having to explore that or really take a good look at it um, because it's not pleasant. And... um, For most of us, we didn't have tools in how to look at it and how to to see that it can transform into something very beneficial and useful for us in leading our lives in a fuller, um, more beautiful way. Um, So um, there's this exercise or something that occurred to me um, that was very helpful, uh, and it was... um, at a friend's wedding, I went to a friend's wedding just the day before yesterday, and I went with um, ambivalence, <laughs> I meaning she's a dear friend and I wanted to see her on her beautiful day, but you know, it's an effort to get dressed and drive and spend the whole day with people you don't know and have to make conversation. And so I was really grateful when I arrived there. There was a table, a greeting table, and there were all these little cards that. Um, that said, if, you, if you'd like to, just write down a blessing for the Bride and Groom and tie it on this little tree. And, um, and I was like, oh, um, okay. And I kind of looked in I was like, oh my God, there's nothing there. There's just all this flurry of the energy that it took to get there. And so it took me a few minutes. I sat down and I said, no, I want something to come up because she's a dear friend. I know somewhere in there, (laughs) there are some blessings and deep wishes for them on on this day and for their life. And, um, you know, it's a big commitment. So, yes, all the blessings from all their friends, I'm sure, will help them. And um, I was really grateful for that because it helped me sustain that kind of um, wish and... um, desire for them to be happy and what I could do to support them throughout the day when it was hot as hell and I didn't want to be standing and I, you know, I didn't want to, instead of going down that path of, you know, um, bitching and moaning or something, <laughs> I decided to, you know, just, you know, kind of just come back to, um, and go, uh, you know, to, to, to see that there is something, you know, beyond the immediate pleasant or unpleasant, something that would help sustain my presence there and actually make me more present. So as, we're, as I'm going to go through the Eightfold Path, um, before we do that, I just thought I would invite you to do the same thing. Because sometimes Dharma talks are really difficult to get through. <laughs> I hope this isn't one of them, but you know, all the judgments, criticism, opinions... Um, or even blessings of the Dharma talk may come up. So um, I could invite you to do the same thing, to to take a moment to kind of drop in and to see for yourself what is a deep wish for yourself. What is something you wish for yourself that would support you right now? Um, it doesn't have to be your deepest aspiration. And um, if nothing comes up for you... Um, It might work for someone that you hold dear to you that might need a blessing. Um, But it just puts us in a very different frame to see, touch into, take a moment, and to see what do I wish for myself? So I also know that for a lot of people um, nothing may come up and that's fine. Um, And there might be aversion to any exercise of any type and that's fine too. So no one's forcing you to do anything. But you know, sometimes I want to offer something that might um, be useful, not just now, but at another time, anytime. Um, So having, if you have touched into something beautiful, just to hold it lightly. Um, And if you haven't, that's fine as well. Um, The reason I do that is sometimes when we listen to to lists of things, (laughs) they don't necessarily translate into uh, things that are gonna help us right away. Um, So when If I'm talking about right view, for instance, the first, let's say, factor of the Noble Eightfold Path, like, how do we understand experience? How do we see our experiences? How do we see cause and effect? Um, Right view is often taught as um, seeing the Four Noble Truths, you know, seeing um, the origins of suffering, seeing... um, the things that help to release us from suffering. And, um, and I think for a lot of us, um, different points in our practice, um, we have different kinds of energy, willingness to see suffering. Um, and the understanding changes so much at least for me, as I continue to do the practice. So a lot of times it's maybe just a surface understanding and um, has the ability to penetrate very deeply into seeing the causes of suffering. And the benefits that come from that, um, that kind of really give us that wind or that support behind us to continue on this path, like investigate or, or see if we hold... If that if that holds truly for us, that a certain understanding helps us, that certain wisdom helps us, um, I, fo- I found that when I was reading that, it was automatic right view. I didn't have to worry about right intention, the next, the next thing on the, no- the next factor, because right intention was naturally encouraged, supported, cultivated by right view. And sometimes I wish I would known that. I wouldn't have worked so hard on establishing the right intentions uh, in a forceful kind of um, structured way. Um, but I do see the benefit now after, you know, just sitting so much and having, taking a good look at, at the causes of suffering. I think uh, many of us do get to know suffering very well. And um, probably in ways that we didn't imagine. Um, and so sometimes there's a lot of beauty in suffering. We can see that it's not all painful, it's not all struggle, it's, um, it's not all things that we need to shy away from. But seeing our own in a very deep way really makes it clear that um, everyone's going through that. There is some Element of solidarity that emerges, or an element of um, the importance of self isn't that great anymore, and a sense of belonging or a sense of continuing or this practice so it's not just for us um, becomes very clear. Um, and oftentimes I lose sight of that, so sometimes just reading about it or remembering, um, sinking into something um, that helps support us, um, reminds me that it doesn't have to be so difficult. When we hear about the eight things, like right view, right intention, um, the wisdom component of the Eightfold Path, and then the practice or conduct you know, component that includes... Um, right speech and right action, right livelihood, and all the things that help support our our sitting practice or our concentration, so the effort and mindfulness and development of concentration that goes in. um, It doesn't seem so overwhelming or difficult or impossible. It's almost like it's easier to pick one thing that works for you or that feels natural that's coming up to focus on, and all the other things, if we keep them in mind sometimes, check into them, kind of support the practice in a lot of unseen ways. And I guess sometimes I, I, I want to add in the moments of grace and beauty and ease of practice because um, when we do it in their daily life and we're just out in the world, um, we don't have perfect concentration, we don't have perfect mindfulness, we don't have uh, balanced effort all the time. Um, it's usually um, unbalanced. And when we when we establish clarity, a lot of times we just start seeing more clearly all the places that um, we're not using right speech or we're not using right action. And so how... Um, it's painful, and, and there's, a, you know, there's a value of seeing it, but I often think what we do is we add on many, many layers of, of, of blame and um, judgment and criticism. It makes the practice very difficult and can discourage us from kind of wanting to see more clearly because it's like if we see that clearly... Um, do we really want to see that clearly? <laughs> I remember once when I was in, um, just going into a long retreat, and I was meeting with the teacher, and he was saying, remember, you have to uh, let go of um, everything that's I, me, or mine. And, okay, let that sink in, went practice for a couple of days, and I came back. And, uh, and, I, and I said, remember what you said about everything that's somehow attached to I, me, or mine? And he goes, yes. I said, well, that seems to be everything. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I don't think I had a clue that it was everything. How I tied my shoes, how I reached for a cup, how I—I I mean, ridiculously everything. But he beamed and he smiled and he said, "It's a good thing you see that." You know, he brought some humor to it. And he goes, "He goes now. You have a lot of letting go to do." <laughs> and you know, he wanted to bring some lightness. Says, "We don't take it so personally, um, but it is important to see it." So, even when we do see all the times when maybe um, we're not so skillful in our speech or our actions, um, that there's a way to hold that, you know, there's a way to um, use the experience and see the value in the reaction. So, a lot of times guilt will come up, I notice. Um, and guilt, if you explore guilt, is full of me and mine. And <laughs> and, and oh, and it's whoa, And it's heavy. Guilt is very heavy. So if you can sort through and remove, like, or see through the ego that's in guilt, I think a lot of times there's some element of remorse that's there. And remorse can be very useful. It's a good motivator to, like, oh, this is not pleasant. I, I don't want to continue putting myself through this or putting others through this. It's a motivator to continue practice, or be a little bit more... um, um, I wanted to use the word vigilant, but it's such a strong word. (laughs) Let's say careful, careful. So, um, there was an example of a friend of mine um, who was driving down the street, and he was kind of in this, uh, maybe a little bit anxious, and he felt that he was anxious. He was driving out of a hospital. And a car in front of him drove out very slowly, and was making, you know, indecisive turns. And you know, he was right on their tail, and he knew he was just—he didn't honk or anything, but he could feel his impatience. And so it ended up, and he pulled up next to them at a light or something. And the woman rolled down the window, and um, she flipped him off, mm-hmm. and she said, "I see you. I know what you're doing." <laughs> And he was just, you know, shocked. Um, and he's a dedicated practitioner. And he was like, wow, I felt so bad after that. Because, you know, there she was coming out of the hospital with this old gentleman in her passenger seat. probably was a relative. And, he, and she had to probably drive slowly and all this. And here I was impatient, right? On, you know, and um, he felt the remorse. You know, um, I'm sure, I think there were probably layers of guilt, like, oh, my God, how could I have done that? But underneath it, he goes, there was remorse. And he felt, that was useful for me. Um, Because even though it's a small thing, it's one motivator to say, oh, my God, is it that important that I get somewhere two seconds earlier? You know, or how maybe it's a time to, you know, check into my impatience. You know, being in the car sometimes is really giving us a lot of opportunities to check into that um, so um, I have a feeling my talk is very tangential <laughs> because, <laughs> because one of the effects of not sitting regularly is that I lose the thread of concentration and focus. And um, I was in a conversation with my friend, and he, and he was going, apologizing for being ADD. And he was saying, um, I'm sure I'm ADD or something, and he apologized. And I had a nice way of saying... Um, I liked that because (laughs) um, it's nice to follow the natural tangents of a conversation (laughs) rather than, uh, you know, admit to monkey mind. Um, But I do have faith that I will weave myself around (laughs) and back into using the Noble Eightfold Path (laughs) as a framework um, to kind of um, maybe give examples or offer something that when we do sometimes um, lay upon ourselves the things that we should be doing with practice, um, That to see where it's not helpful and helpful. Sometimes hearing things, but just hearing them and letting them go. Hearing them and seeing where in my life um, does that make sense. You know, because a lot of times... Um, our view is, is not going to be the view that's taught. <laughs> our understanding is not going to match that. Our intentions are not always noble, and um, we need the tools in order to meet and sit with that as well. Um, so even though I find it beautiful that the the teachings are very clearly laid out, you know, if we just work on this, seeing this, if, if the, the Four Noble Truths make sense to us, that we see that there's suffering in our lives um, and we see clearly the origins of suffering and we have faith or we see the possibility that there's an end through our own experience um, checking in to see what happens when our hearts do become very soft and open, what happens what's there when there's really genuine care that arises for self and others, um then I feel like the path, which is um, establishing, cultivating, supporting right view, right intention, um, right speech, action and livelihood, and effort, mindfulness and concentration, come easier. They're not all going to come at the same time, and they're not linear, and practice is never linear. I've never heard anybody say that (laughs) or describe it as linear. And it often seems like it's just very messy. Um, So sometimes it's really beneficial to have a very clearly laid out path. Okay, so what's going on? Where is my effort getting messed up? You know, is there too much energy, not enough calm? Where are my intentions not clear, you know? And what is the thing that needs a little bit of support right now? Um, I'm just checking in to see if that made any sense. Um. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: Yeah, so the motivator for me... Um, has been care. It's another word for compassion. It's another word, um, I think, and it's... It unfolded or unraveled as I really had more and more willingness to take a look at the areas in my life that were causing me a lot of suffering. Um, I don't know how to... offer that in any other way is that sometimes just aiming and doing the simplest thing is just returning to the breath. It doesn't seem like a lot. It's not like, it doesn't seem like it's going to give me all that much insight. It, uh, in the beginning, it was like, how am I going to figure out these, um, profound truths from just coming back to the breath? Um, And I wanted to make sense of it in a conceptual way, and I wanted to make sense of it in an analytical way, in the ways that my mind was used to uh, dissecting information or absorbing or making sense of it. And I found that 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 really wasn't helpful. And it it still happens. It's still not helpful. Um, But sometimes just focusing on the simplest thing is returning to the breath. Uh, and coming back, and establishing one thing at a time, and seeing for yourself what is the thing that's working best for you. Um, In the beginning, I didn't realize this, but I spent probably years developing calm. Um, Concentration came relatively easily, so what the system, I think, was really wanting or needing as a support was calm that um, 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes of calm in the day that came from a regular practice. And it was from there that there's some stillness that I could actually see, start to see more clearly the relationship between events. Because in the beginning, as much as we teach mindfulness, it's like trying to use a wild mind to see wildness. It's... it's um, it doesn't make sense a lot of times. And I didn't trust what I was seeing because I thought, you know, I'm sure um, it's not very clear. Um, for other people, I, I, I am sure that um, clarity is just, it comes a little bit easier. And there are other things to develop, if it's the balancing the effort, or um, or ch- checking in with um, with. The understanding of the the four noble truths, or understanding of suffering, um, that needs a little bit, maybe a little bit more energy. So, I think right now at this point, maybe the eight noble, the, the. (laughs) No, I'm getting confused. (laughs) The eightfold path. There we go. may seem like a lot to hold. Um, and I, have to, I would have to say, don't worry about it. Because um, whatever thing that you're working on that seems to support you, uh, if it's just a mindfulness practice, or it is developing concentration, or, um, or it is reading, or coming to Dharma talks, or um, discussing things with friends, that all of it, in a way, has, supports each other in ways that won't be clear, I don't think, right away. Um, but sometimes it is just pushing that reset button, knowing when you're kind of... I know clearly I've fallen off the path. <laughs> I can feel it clearly. Other times it's a little more subtle, like I convince myself I'm still on it. <laughs> but, um, you know, not all that 100% effort is there. Um, um, so, for each of you, um, it's, it's such a process of exploration, and forgiveness and kindness this practice not just the facility and capacities of the mind to become sharp um, and clear Um, I find there are so many minds in here that are so good at what they do um, that it's not often that that needs to be so practiced as much as the kindness component or the forgiveness component or the figuring out how to hold the practice in a way that's really useful for each person and that changes from time to time. All the things that were useful for me a year ago or a month ago aren't as useful anymore. So... um, it's a good practice for me to have to come up and pull from something What's helpful for me. Um, And I'm sure all of you have more instances, whether you're at work or family or this or that, where uh, you become unraveled and um, um, you say something that's not so skillful or kind or do something that's not so skillful or kind. Um, And that's okay. I mean that's when that kindness and forgiveness component really is important and helpful because otherwise we're just going to practice more criticism and judgment and that's not what we want to do. So holding on to a maybe more expansive view of that And I hope I've made some sense. I think I've, like, <laughs> exhausted my notes. I haven't gone into detail, even though it's all written here. What's outlined is right view, right intention, right speech. I have a feeling that I would bore myself, and <laughs> and and I feel bad for the people who would listen to this because that's what they're listening for, is to get that information. But it really is accessible to everybody to... Um, to read about it in the time that's really um, appropriate for you, when you're really curious. Um, what do they mean by you know uh, right effort? And it's a long page, <laughs> and I, I've tried to memorize it so <laughs> I could um, share it with you. But um, it's if I find that it's more helpful when you're like, oh, am I really doing right effort? <laughs> um, do I? I really know what that is, so that's um, it's the moment to um, maybe um, uh, do the inquiry. And I always find that when you talk about eight things, to describe everything in detail during one 45-minute session is, um, is just um, it's unreasonable to ask that everybody remember <laughs> to remember it.) Um, but yeah, so I think in general, I think you, I think I've kind of of, of spoke my mind and heart, and I hope some of it has landed somewhere. Um, and I forgot to give the preface to this talk about um, using what's helpful and leaving behind what's not, <laughs> um, and holding things tentatively because. Um, Maybe a lot of what I'm saying isn't that clear or that true. Um, it's just my perception right now and my perspective right now. And um, I really think one of the most beautiful things about this practice is that the Buddha said not to believe anything he said, but he said, "See for yourself." and even though I'm motivated and uh, I have good intentions, you know, um, the disclaimer (laughs) right now would be, there's a, um, I can say things that are harmful. You know, um, I may have said things that are harmful or that um, people have um, reactions to. And um, so, just to know that, yeah. I ask forgiveness if I've caused harm. And, <laughs> and I, I, I really think or trust or faith that people um, can figure it out for themselves. If I didn't have that unshakable faith that it's possible, I don't think I'd be up here. Um, so there's five minutes left. If there are any um, questions or reactions or responses... I, I really welcome them.
0: What made you uh, come back to the practice after being away from it for so long? Or what it sounded like a long time?
1: Um. That's a good question, and I really had to. I I come to that each time I have to give a talk, and I have to say teaching. Like I said, teaching's the kick in the pants for me right now. It makes me dig a little deeper. Um, I do care deeply, and I I really cherish that because for most of my life, I don't think I knew how to care. I really wanted to care, and I could see where there was caring and it seemed like it was a secret world or language. And, um, and it was through these teachings and practices that that unfolded for me in a very beautiful way. Um, and I keep coming back to that, even though this is very hard practice. I, I, I do know it, it's, it's, it's not for the faint at heart. Um, I come back to that. Okay. well I give a little bit of time but then when I, I get a sense that nothing's going to come
0: <laughs> I want to say that the thing I love about hearing you the most is the way you talk I think that um, you're hard on yourself and I really appreciate you
1: talking Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Yes, I am hard on myself. That's why it's a painful practice. (laughs) But also beautiful, because I I am up here, and I get to talk about something that's uh, really touched me in a meaningful way. And I have a feeling that for a lot of you, you wouldn't be here if there wasn't some suffering, or there wasn't something in your life that's bringing you to take a look at things. So...
0: One thing that I'm struck by in this community is and Gil has said this but it it is very alive for me right now is how much this is a community that we create and you said something about um, that we need to sort of take responsibility for our own learning and that it's through our own experience that we know what's true for us for, I don't know, an absolute truth. But there's something I think really powerful in this practice about um, owning it and teachers are just... I don't know exactly how to label them, but it's like we are our own teachers. The only teacher is really our own experience. And I think you're brave for taking on the role of teacher. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Thank you for sharing that. that there was um, a lot of um, beauty in what you shared. And, and I find that's true, too. We are our own um, best teachers. And we're students at the same time. And, um, yeah, whatever helps. I mean, what motivates me is, like, anything that can support you, anything that helps you, because it's very hard to do alone, even though we are our own best teachers. Um, Sometimes it just takes good friends and a community and a good conversation of reminders to steer away from the things that are going to make us, you know, continually um, suffering and to kind of steer us or help support us to um, something much more beautiful. So thank you. Thank you so much for your attention. I'm not sure I could have suffered through my own talk and I never will listen to it. But <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>